Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about the expulsion of Germans from Eastern Europe um, during and after the Second World War. I've talked about this before, years and years ago. But when I was talking about it back then, I wasn't drawing from um, the work of Keith Lowe, particularly his book Savage Continent which um, is, is an excellent account of the, um, the aftermath of the Second World War and the fact that um, for, in some places, several years after the end of the war, um, ethnic cleansing and civil war uh, continued. Um, the idea of, war, of wars ending, both the First World War and the Second World War, is particularly kind of... Uh, Western-centric conceit um, after the First World War, as we saw in you know, the, the um, as we've seen in previous podcasts, um, conflict continued, and so it did after the the Second World War. Again, mainly in Central and uh, Eastern Europe, um, as finally um, the uh, four multinational empires. Between uh, before the First World War, the Ottoman, the Habsburg, uh, the Hohenzollern, the German, uh, and the Romanov, um, finally uh, emerged in kind of ethnically homogenous nation states, albeit mainly behind the Iron Curtain, at the end of the Second World War. And part of that process was the expulsion of national minorities, and no national minority at the end of the Second World War was hated as much as Germans were. So, um, Keith Lowe writes, uh, beginning uh, his discussion of this at the Tehran conference, he writes, When the big three met at Tehran, they also discussed what would happen to Poland's western border. Churchill and Roosevelt were keen to compensate the Poles for what they would lose to Stalin by giving them parts of Germany and East Prussia instead. Of course, Stalin had demanded 
that Poland's, uh, the, the Russo-Polish border move westwards. Churchill explained that this proposal explained this proposal in a late night session on the first day of the conference. Poland might move westwards, he said, like soldiers taking two steps, left close. If Poland trod on some German toes, that could not be helped. To demonstrate what he meant, he placed a row of three matchsticks on the table and moved each of them to the left. In uh, other words, what Stalin took on the east side of Poland, the international community would give back on the western side. So Stalin liked this, obviously. Um, he saw that it could only benefit the Soviet Union. It enabled the Soviet Union to uh, seize eastern Poland, um, but it also meant that the demarcation line between Moscow and the Allies is shifted westwards. Um, exactly the sort of uh, gambit that he was uh, he was hoping for. The only nation that's really going to lose territory will be Germany. Germany deserves to be punished, as far as Stalin is concerned, and um, also it presents the um, the, the Allied uh, kind of raison d'etre for the war, their kind of defining statement, the Atlantic Charter to be something of a kind of like a parody. Um, there would be no consult consultation free of the freely expressed wishes of people concerned, which is one of the, the lines from the Atlantic Charter. It, of course, wouldn't have been um, possible to consult anyone in Germany, uh, and the, the term consultation itself is uh, entirely misleading. Uh, in that really the uh, these consultations would have taken the form of uh, a, a polite diktat, so simply telling people their faith as opposed to really asking them what they wanted to do about it. Um, it wasn't considered necessary to uh, wait until the war was ended to agree on the, um, the on, on the changes to to borders. Foreign Secretary Anthony Eden. Stated, stated to Parliament, in justification of these plans, there are certain parts of the Atlantic Charter which refer in set terms to victor and vanquished alike, but we cannot admit that Germany can claim that any part of the Charter applies to her. Germany, therefore, in the eyes of the British government, and probably the American and Soviet governments as well, existed in a special category all of its own. Um, and that the, the rules of war now did not apply. Um, the uh, parts of the, the plans for Germany, for the dismemberment of Germany, for the division of Germany and the occupation of Germany, um, didn't conform to anything that had particularly been set down in the, in the Atlantic Charter. Uh, ideas such as Henry Morgenthau's uh, Morgenthau plan, to, which doesn't come to pass in the end, but to deindustrialize Germany and to return Germany to a kind of like a, a rural agrarian state, for example, had no basis in the Atlantic Charter, but it was something that was, was strongly considered anyway. Um, discussions about the border uh, between Poland and Germany therefore continued at Yalta at the beginning of 1945 and were concluded, as far as they would ever be concluded, at Potsdam the following summer. As a result of these discussions, everything east of the Oder and the Nisa rivers would become Polish, 
including the ancient German provinces of Pomerania, East Brandenburg, Lower and Upper Silesia, most of East Prussia, uh, and the port of Danzig. All of those areas had been considered German for hundreds of years and were populated almost exclusively by German people, more than 11 million of them, according to the official statistics. So what this meant was there would be um, an enormous transition of people, an enormous transit of people uh, westwards. There was no way that they were that German people in these new territories were uh, allowed would be allowed to remain. Um, there was, in the eyes of uh, the Poles, every justification for doing this, given the uh, the mass murder of Poles during the war and the uh, ethnic cleansing of Poles from um, the Vatikau and East Prussia, uh, and the uh, the dumping of Poles into the, the general government. Um, Churchill put it, uh, it would be a pity to stuff the Polish goose so full of German food that it got indigestion, um, which is his way of saying, yes, of course, I fully understand that, Germans will have to be removed. There would be, you know, there's no point going and restoring uh, a Polish state if you're simply going to leave German ethnic minorities within it. Perhaps he was suggesting that it had that it was better uh, for the point of a future peace to remove German ethnic minorities, so you didn't wind up with a future Sudetenland type incident and further kind of incidences of. Revanchist German fascism looking to reunite ethnic minorities with the motherland. Perhaps he simply thought that the Germans had been so much trouble in Europe that uh, removing them from Poland and creating uh, homogenous, uh, ethnically homogenous nation states was what was desirable. It's unclear. Um, when the concerns were raised at Yalta about the practicality and the humanity of expelling such large numbers of people, from their ancestral homelands, Stalin remarked blandly that most Germans in these regions had already run away from the Red Army, which is entirely true. From 1943 onwards, Germans were fleeing uh, the Baltic states, uh, Poland and Central and Eastern Europe. Um, But the scope of what was being proposed would be the largest movement of the largest act of ethnic cleansing in human history, uh, far greater than the partition of India two years later. Several million Germans, right at the very end of the Second World War, who had fled uh, East Prussia and uh, Danzig uh, and Silesia, actually chose to return there. Um, uh, after a temporary, uh, after uh, a short-term uh, period of time in uh, in Germany itself, and they thought that it would be possible to go and resume their lives, which ex- which is shows actually a, either a colossal level of naivety or a a fundamental misunderstanding about how. Um, the world now operated and about what um, and about the status of Germans outside Germany's borders after the end of the Second World War, and perhaps an, a degree of denialism. Um, I've spoken before um, about the, the the amazing chapter in the Third Reich at War by Richard J. Evans, German Moralities, where 
um, the Holocaust and the crimes of Germany in Russia and Poland are um, an open secret. You can know if you want, but nobody wants to know. And many Germans try to kind of downplay and think, well, all sides are at fault and it's all been very unpleasant. And Germans have suffered as well. Our cities have been bombed to the ground. Um, so we could probably go back to our, our lives in um, uh, East Prussia or Silesia. Uh, and, um, you know, the Poles who are there, I'm sure, you know, they'll let bygones be bygones, and that, that kind of thing. Um, so many who were um, who re- returned there were um, conscripted as forced labour uh, in order to uh, pay off German war reparations, uh, or they were removed back uh, westwards, forced, forcibly told to march westwards. So that there is well, one of the kind of the great untold stories uh, of the uh, aftermath of the Second World War is this question of. German labour in the Soviet Union, people kidnapped and sent to work there. Um, and the, the obviously there was the large, large amounts of German prison labour in the Soviet Union, uh, German army, uh, POW labour. But there were significant numbers of civilians as well who simply kind of vanish, uh, vanish from history, so making it home in the 1950s. So... Um, Keith Lowe writes, Strictly speaking, the Soviets and the Poles were not supposed to start expelling Germans from these areas until after the borders were finalised. Even the provisional borders were not agreed upon until the Potsdam Conference in the summer of 1945. It was expected that the final borders would be drawn up once a peace settlement with Germany was signed by the Allies. But because of the breakdown of relations between the Soviets and the West during the Cold War these, and the consequent partition of Germany, such a peace treaty would not actually be signed for another 45 years. In the meantime, the Poles and the Soviets would embark on the programme of expulsions regardless of international agreements. And this became evident uh, when to the American ambassador, Arthur Bliss Lane, when he visited Rockhoff in the early autumn. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
1945. Uh, Rocklov, which had been um, just a few, uh, it was just a few months before, had been the German city of Breslau, um, had all um, was already in the advanced stages of Polonization, uh, the um, uh, removal of uh, ethnic Germans and replace uh, the replacement with ethnic Poles. Um, Arthur Bliss Lane wrote. Germans were being forcibly deported daily to German territory. It was obvious that the Poles did not consider that they were occupying Rokhlov um, uh, temporarily, subject to the final approval by the, the peace conference. All German signs were being removed and replaced by those in the Polish language. Poles were being brought into the city from parts of Poland to, be, uh, um, to replace uh, repatriated Germans. I mean, one can only imagine the the the, the bitterness, the anger, um, the um, hatred um, of um, ethnic Germans that many Poles felt uh, f- uh, following the the devastation of Poland uh, and the um, the staggering mass murder of Poles by the Nazi regime during the war uh, and. Perhaps it was utterly inconceivable that a German ethnic minority was ever going to live peaceably or uh, equally alongside the Poles after the war. The expulsions, though, had been ongoing. The uh, letter from Arthur Bliss Lane was um, dated in the early autumn of uh, 1945, but since May um, the evictions had started uh, Germans had been thrown out of their home, uh, property had been claimed. Um, and um, these are not always Germans who are complicit in crimes against the Polish people. Um, the, uh, the majority of Germans who are expelled have either been part of a German minority who've lived in Poland uh, since long before 1918, or they were German settlers who came during the war, I mean, it's arguable that there is a great deal of complicity even from civilian settlers on occupied land, which has been um, uh, occupied at the expense and the uh, often the bloodshed of uh, the indigenous Polish people. However, um, the, uh, the expulsions um, are of civilian non-combatants. Um, so it raises all sorts of moral questions uh, of its own. Um, it was not only the Red Army that raped and robbed Germans with abandon, but Poles too, writes Keith Lowe. In the cities, such as Stettin, uh, Danzig, and uh, other centres of um, uh, German populations, the Germans were ho- into, headed into ghettos, um, partly so that the Poles could very quickly take over German properties without really um, much hassle, um, but also to so the Germans, uh, to keep the, the Germans safe from the Polish population at large, it's for their, their own protection. Um, camps were set up for um, Germans, concentration camps in essence, often to use them as uh, labour um, or to keep them in one place before they could be officially deported. Um, of course, the, uh, they would be stripped of any wealth, belongings and property uh, whilst they were incarcerated. 
some Poles became impatient. Um, and these were uh, ordinary civilians who were not keen to wait around for um, official permission to deport. They uh, became angry at the thought of Germans being in their community. Uh, and they began to take it upon themselves uh, in a sort of vigilante justice style, which you find, of course, all over Europe, um, from, from Greece to France to Norway to the Netherlands. Um, they, they would round up Germans um, and drive them over the border. Um, in the Polish records, Polish records show that in the last two weeks of June 1945 alone, 274,206 Germans were unlawfully deported across the Oder River into Germany. And they were perhaps the, the ones that would have been considerable violence, um, and there were no doubt fatalities along the way, uh, but things were considerably worse for German civilians who were uh, rounded up or deported later on. Um, this is not unique to Poland. Uh, in the spring and summer of 1945, the Czechs were busy driving hundreds of thousands of Sudeten Germans over their borders in a similar frenzied way. Um, the anger that the Poles and the Czechs feel towards the Germans is is deeply, deeply tragic because prior to uh, Hitler's annexation of the Sudetenland, prior to Hitler's invasion of uh, of Poland, the status of Germans in these communities was in, entirely stable. I mean, they they were German Nazis who uh, caused uh, immense amounts of trouble in the Sudetenland, uh, but still, the uh, the the Czechoslovakia was still a successful multi-ethnic state where the rights of Czechs, Slovaks, Germans. And other East European ethnic minorities were um, represented, were um, protected and enshrined in, in, in the Czech constitution. So um, the, the racial supremacy that uh, Hitler um, put at the, at the heart of Nazism, the idea that Germans were ethnically superior and could not be ruled over by inferior Slavs, leads, ironically, at the, the failure of Hitler's war to the, uh, the final expulsion of Germans from territories that were considered once to be, to, to, to be ethnically German. Um, they, the expulsions in 1945 um, were, once again, not events that were organised by the central authorities, but they were... Um, really the product of local ethnic hatreds. Um, the urgency uh, that characterised the, the expulsions, uh, writes Keyslow, implies that the Poles and the Czechs alike were eager to, eager to get rid of the German minorities before any outside agency stepped in to stop them doing so. So there was a, a kind of a, a race on to, to expel. So um, it was... For this reason, that the big three at Yalta felt it was necessary to make a formal declaration on the way that the transfer of Germans was to be carried out. They thought, well, it's happening anyway, so let's make sure that it, it happens in a particular way. 
Um, and so the Poles, the Czechs and the Hungarians were told that they could remove germs in an orderly and humane manner. Um, the oh, Of course, the, the removals were done with a great deal of brutality. Um, and the, the fact of the matter was that at the end of the war, where the Soviets had lost 27 million war dead, and the British and the Americans uh, were uh, weary of the conflict and wanted it to end, uh, and were not concerned with the uh, the affairs of Eastern Europe. Um, the, the fate of Germans who had seemingly, in the eyes of many British and Americans, caused the world such an immense amount of trouble could be uh, quickly dispensed with and hands could be washed. So Keith Lowe writes, it was not only the brutal way that these people were being expelled that was the problem, it was also the inability of the Allies within Germany to cope with the huge influx of refugees. They needed time to organise a system for integrating these newcomers and dispersing them with equitably, um, uh, equitably uh, throughout the different zones of Germany. Although this declaration managed to slow the transfer of Germans, it signally failed to bring it to a halt. The Poles refused to stop expelling Germans from Silesia and Stettin. Furthermore, it is recognition that the expulsions would have, uh, would have to be undertaken. The Potsdam Declaration provided all the countries involved with an official endorsement for their actions, if not immediately, then at least in the very near future. As a consequence, the expulsion of Germans from across Europe would not be confined to a spontaneous but temporary phenomenon that might fizzle out over time. It, had, it now had the potential to become an official, permanent and total removement of German men, women and children from every other corner of Europe. It was for this reason that Anno Herr McCormick of the New York Times called it the most inhuman decision ever made by governments dedicated to the defence of human rights. Um, so the, the actual kind of human cost of this is, is quite staggering. Um, and the, uh, the violence uh, that um, the, uh, the, the German um, uh, nationals, German, uh, ethnic uh, German uh, people experienced as they were deported um, mirrored some of the, the great acts of brutality that the Nazis and uh, the, uh, the Wehrmacht had inflicted on peoples across Europe, uh, not just the Jews, but countless others. Um, so when we dive back into this, we're probably going to look at the, the human realities of these expulsions. Okay, so let's finish there. Um, and I'm going to be um, adding more things now to the uh, the podcast in, in the next few days because there's the, the, the time and the scope to really kind of um, uh, develop uh, develop the podcast rather a lot. So there'll be plenty more contact, uh, content uh, coming your way. Um, just want to say a, uh, a huge, huge thanks uh, to... Alvaro, a very good friend of the Explaining History podcast and a long-time listener who's currently helping uh, to uh, develop and relaunch the Explaining History website, which is going to be a great resource for all of you guys in uh, 2021 
Um, it's going to keep the, the various bloggings I've done, the podcast and the video in, in one handy portal So um, and other things that might develop on there too. So huge thanks there. Uh, and as ever, um, we sustain ourselves through uh, a little bit of advertising revenue, but also the kindness of our patrons. Um, last year, I was kind of a bit of a uh, Patreon write-off for me because of the, the effects of uh, the long COVID uh, that myself and my wife were uh, in recovery from. So we were kind of wiped out for the whole year. But we're, we're kind of back on it this year. I'm kind of back on it, and I'll be uh, adding new content to the Patreon. So if you want ex- Patreon-exclusive content, uh, check it out, uh, and it'll be on there soon. And uh, Thanks to all, all our um, uh, patrons for uh, being so generous uh, and keeping the podcast going and having a uh, belief in what we're doing. Thanks very much, everybody. Take good care. All the best. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.